The reading today is from John 5, verses 1 through 18. Listen and hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is, un- it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we were planning a trip to Israel, and we were actually going to leave next week, uh, next Sunday night, but of course, the coronavirus had us to postpone that trip. We're actually going one year from right now, spring of 2022, because spring is the best time to go to Israel, and I hope that many of you go with me. And if you do go, there'll be a day when we walk through this sheep gate, the very gate that Liz just read about, and right beyond the sheep gate... Uh, some of you have been there, there is a pool, and it's the pool of Bethesda. They, they call it in Israel Bethesda. And you can see where the colonnades were. It's just as it was described right here, there's a little chapel there called St. Anne's, which is one of my favorite spots there in Israel. Uh, but you can see this pool. You can imagine this place. It's, it's incredibly uh, powerful. Now, there was a spring there, and, and there still is a small spring. It doesn't bubble up as maybe it did here. Um, But scholars believe that when the spring bubbled up, people would get into the water for healing. Now, it's very possible that something more was going on. Uh, Some people believe that there was an angel that would visit this spring. Um, But this pool would bubble up. Even still today, there's a spring right there, just as it was here. And of course, the text says that a multitude of people gathered there to be healed. But this one man in particular... And and the Bible gives us a a lot of detail. He he had been an invalid for 38 years, as if to press in how long this man had been suffering. And it actually says that he had been there for a long time, trying to get into water when the water was stirred, but he couldn't. And Jesus comes to him. Now, you can almost imagine, the text tells us that Jesus was in town for a feast which is very regular. This is an often occurrence. 
in the life and ministry of Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of John. It does not tell us which feast. In fact, interesting, just a little tidbit. This is the only time in the Gospel of John it doesn't tell us the particular feast that Jesus was in town for, but he's in town for a feast. He'd probably been in town before. He'd probably noticed this guy before. He'd been there for a long time, but this time he goes to him, and in verse six he says, do you want to be healed? And the interaction that they have teaches us a lot. Three things I want to look at with you today is healing, holiness, and Sabbath. This passage teaches us a lot about healing. There are a lot of reasons that people seek healing. They seek to be healed. One is obviously the obvious, just physical pain. Some of you know this. Uh, ongoing, continual physical pain. You need healing. There's actually a woman of our church who's a member of our church who has this, this inner ear problem and literally always is hearing a ringing sound inside of her head. I can't imagine that. And, and they can't figure out how to fix this. Some of you have endured that. Some of you right now are maybe in a chronic pain. Some of you may be watching online. You can't be here because of some real ailment. But there's other kinds of pain. Some of you, it's heartache. Some of you are going through heartache right now, and you know that you are because you can't stop thinking about it. When, when you are sad, when you are in pain, you know, it's been said that you never are more alive, you never are more aware of your own existence than when you're sad, than when you're in heartache. And that's true, because you can't stop thinking about it. It's always pressing you. It's always with you. Some of you are dealing with anxiety that's crippling. It's hard to do the next thing. There's a lot of reasons that people need to seek healing. There's, there's, other, there's, other way, there's another way to pursue healing, though. It's, it's a little less dramatic, but I think it's no less real. It, it's, it's healing in a sense of saving from something or a reaction to a particular pain. Uh, Sean McDowell in the, in the talk that he gave on Sunday night mentioned, and I had read this before too, that a biographer of Steve Jobs said that his drive and his perfectionism and his intensity, he had just theorized this. We don't know this is true, but he had theorized that it was all a reaction to the fact that Steve Jobs had been adopted as a child. And he wanted to push against that. He, in a sense, Steve Jobs was always trying to prove to the parents that put him up for adoption that they had made a mistake. And that pain drove him. He, he in a sense, looked to something for healing, his work, his significance to overcome this pain. Some of you have experienced that. Maybe it is with a parent that was never really satisfied with you. Maybe it's with, you know, a group of friends that rejected you when you were younger and you still are showing, you're still looking to something, you're still putting your hope in something to get out for healing. In one sense or another, we're all looking to something for healing. We're all looking to something for comfort. We're all looking to something to keep us from pain. And, and this man in this story, the obvious character of the story, was looking to the pool. The pool was his salvation. And he'd been there a long time. He was, he was willing to just sit there by the pool. Some scholars think that he could have been there for years trying to get in because that's where healing was. That's where salvation 
was, but he couldn't get in. Verse seven, Jesus says, do you wanna be healed? And the man said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And while the water is stirred, another goes down before me. But there's another, I think, even more interesting character, a group of characters in this story that is looking to something intently for a sense of healing, for a sense of salvation. And that's the Pharisees. They were trusting in something for healing. They were trusting in their adherence, in particular here, to the Sabbath, but to the law. They were, they were trusting in this good label that the law could give them, right? They wouldn't be looked down upon. They wouldn't be outcast. They would be respected if they obeyed the law. They could know that they were righteous. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you understand how the Jewish people were obeying the law, and I don't have time to get into it now, but they were obeying the law in a very superficial way. And the Sabbath laws, most of all, they were obeying in a superficial way. Here's one example. You couldn't walk more than a thousand yards or a thousand, you know, let's say yards on the Sabbath day. And if people needed to go more than a thousand yards, here's what they would do. They would take a lot of food. They would take a meal and they would set it in a place before the Sabbath day. And if you had a great meal in a place, you could establish that place as your home. And so then they could walk from their home to that place, eat the meal, and then walk another thousand miles and justify it. This is the kind of obedience that they had. But it was respected. People said, well, these are obedient people. They're honoring the law. They're obeying what God has said. And that's what these Pharisees were trusting in. That's how they were justified. And not only were they trusting in their own obedience, not only did they love their own obedience, they really loved pointing out where someone else was disobedient because the law, it was their salvation. It was their healing. Now, this is an amazing story for many reasons, but the most amazing point, the most amazing passage in the text to me is, is verse 10, but, but let's look at verse eight. Okay, so the man has just explained to Jesus about the pool and Jesus heals him. Verse eight, it says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. This is the most amazing passage in this story to me. This man has been an invalid for 38 years. He was widely known in Jerusalem. He's been trying to be healed. He's been waiting for potentially years by this pool. And now after 38 years of impalement, he is healed walking around Jerusalem, carrying the very mat that was the sign of his pain, and all they can notice, all they can see is that he is breaking the Sabbath law. This is amazing. And it's an important passage. I think it's a particularly important passage for where we are right now. We live in an age, we live in a time where people are very committed to their worldview. They're very committed to their narrative, 
to their understanding of the world. The most amazing thing that these people have probably ever happened has happened right in front of their face, and all that they can see is that it violates their point of reference. All they can do is get upset with this guy for breaking the Sabbath. This story tells us so much about healing. You are all, I don't know all of you, I don't know where all of you have come from, but you are all in one way or another looking for healing. You have come here today, not maybe from church or from Christ or from Christ's covenant, maybe not come to us looking for healing, but you are looking to healing from something. You are looking to be made whole from something. You, you are looking to something for justification, for significance, to, to avoid pain. And the Christian, those of you who are Christians here, the Christians are the one who in our brokenness, Jesus has come to and said to us, do you want to be healed? And we have said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, I will be healed by you. The Christian is the one that believes that God has visited us in Jesus. The Christian is the person that believes that God has shown himself to us in Jesus. The person that's willing to, when Jesus speaks to him, say yes. The person who, when Jesus says, gets up, get up, gets up. The Christian is the person who was trusting in the pool and starts trusting in Jesus. Now, for this man, and maybe for some of you, it's easy to trust in Jesus. I mean, he was broken. He was trusting in this pool, but it wasn't really working out for him. I mean, he, had, he couldn't even get in the pool. He couldn't even get down to the pool. He'd been there for a long time. Nothing was working. And so this man had the posture of, look, I'll try anything. Look, I mean, you want to be healed? Sure, I want to be healed. I'll try anything. Some of you are like that, or some of you have at least been there. You've been so broken. You have been so spent in your life where you said, Look, all I have right now, everything else that I've been looking at is not working. All I have right now is Jesus. You've been like this man who in his brokenness trusted Jesus, and guess what? He was healed. But you're not the people that I'm worried about today. The people that I'm worried about are those of you who really aren't broken. You're looking to something to heal you, to rescue you, and it's working out for you pretty well. This is the Pharisees. They were hoping in the law, and it went pretty well for them. They had power, they were respected. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> The God who showed up, the God who they said they believed in, these were a people that, that said they were hoping in the coming Messiah. These were a people that said they loved the law, they, they loved the presence of God that would visit them in this coming Messiah, and then this Messiah actually does come and they reject him. They hated him. It says they sought to kill him. So I think the question for us today is, how do you know which one you are? I mean, the Pharisees, they said, we're trusting in the Messiah. We're trusting in God. We're trusting in the law. 
yet they rejected the actual Messiah. This broken man really knew nothing of Jesus, and yet he was healed. How do you know who you are? Are you the man? Or are you the Pharisee? How do you know? How do you know who you are? And, and I think that the answer to that question is this. It's another question. What do you do when Jesus violates whatever else it is that you're hoping in? How do you respond when Jesus comes to you and violates your worldview or your ethic or how you understood the world? How do you respond to that? What do you do when Jesus, when Jesus violates whatever else that you have that you're hoping in? Do you respond like the Pharisees or do you respond like the man? And I just want to warn you today, Jesus will. If you are trusting in your work for significance, which many of you probably are, Jesus will violate your work. <laughs> He'll come to you and say, I need to be your priority, not your work. You need to prioritize spending time with me. You need to prioritize your local church. You need to prioritize disciple-making, and this is going to violate your work. Jesus may come to you with a truth that doesn't go along with the narrative that your workplace believes. When he does this, when Jesus violates your work, how do you respond? Do you get up and obey, or do you reject him? Jesus is going to violate your money. If you are hoping and having a lot of money, Jesus is going to call you to be generous. He's going to call you to steward your money for the sake of others. He's going to call you not to love money, to not be so concerned with how much you have or how much you can keep. Jesus will violate your comfort. We had a great small group on Wednesday, and afterward I was talking with the guys in there um, about just kind of some of the nervousness that we see among a lot of Christians. And, and I think that the thing that people would say is that, that people are fearful that kind of a secular world will take away their Christianity. And I said, you know, you can't have your Christianity taken away. I'll go ahead and tell you that. The secular world can't take away your Christianity. What they can take away is your comfort while being a Christian. What they can take away is the comfort that you enjoy as a Christian. And I think that is actually what people are afraid of. It's not that the secular world's taking away Christianity. It's that they're taking away comfort that accompanies Christianity. And I just want you to hear that. Our, if that happens, if, if we come to a moment where if we confess Christ, if we confess Christian ethics, we're, we're ostracized by our company or by a friend group. We can't get the promotion. We really aren't considered for that job or that job or for that deal. Are you okay with that? Is Jesus more healing to you than your comfort? Jesus is going to violate your work, your money, your comfort. He's going to violate your politics. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus doesn't neatly fit into any political party. And in this hyper-politicized age, it is very easy. I want, you to, I want to warn you of this. It is very easy 
to take on the ethic or the tone of a certain political party and not the ethic or the tone of Jesus. Now, I was interviewed for this like little Christian article, Christian magazine paper this week or a few weeks ago. And the guy was getting our perspective. There were some guys that there was this thing that people disagreed about. And I guess I was on one side and these other people were on the other side. And the article never printed. And I just said, well, you know, okay. Well, I guess they just decided not to print it. Well, I just randomly, for a totally other reason, was talking to the guy that wrote the article. And, he, and I said, hey, whatever happened with that article? He said, Jason, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I interviewed some guys and several guys that kind of believed as you did, and their tone was very gracious and generous. And then I interviewed some guys that were kind of on the opposite side of that, and their tone was so vitriolic and harsh and really mean-spirited that I just decided not to print the article. It made them look bad, and it kind of made the church look bad. And as I was considering that, I thought to myself, well, what's going on here? You know, what, what, is, what is this? These are, I know some of these guys, and they're good guys. They're guys that love the Lord. They're brothers. What, what is happening here? And, and I think what's happening here is, is we live in this tribal, vitriolic, competitive age, and when someone disagrees with you, Rather than having charity toward them, it, it immediately becomes this turf war. And, and I think, and I'll just give you the warning, I think people in this hyper-politicized age listen to so much political punditry that it's very easy to take on the tone of political pundits and not the tone of our Lord. And this is true even among Christian pastors. It's easy when this happens when Jesus violates your politics, to even despise him. Jesus is going to violate your ethics. I want to make a confession. This came to mind this week. Last Sunday night, I, I was at a wedding, and I was there with a guy named Joe Summerall. Some of y'all may know Joe. He works with the Seed Company, which is a ministry that we partner with. And Joe and I grew up together, and I've, his little brother is one of my really good friends. And right after Joe graduated college, um, and I was telling him this story last week, right after Joe graduated college, he came back to our youth group as an intern, okay? So there was one night, and I remember this very vividly, and he was preaching, and he was preaching on Christian sexual purity, okay? It's a bunch of, you know, high school kids. And I'm sitting there, and my girlfriend was there, and we had been doing some stuff that was sinful. And I was justifying it because I was like, well, at least we're not doing this, right? We're not doing that. This is fine. And Joe's preaching. And I know that my girlfriend's listening to him. I know that she's a Christian. And I'm like, oh, man, I bet she's being convicted right now. And I'm mad at Joe. I'm like, Joe, quit preaching. Well, you know what? I wasn't mad at Joe, was I? Joe was just being faithful to what the Bible said. Jesus had violated this ethic that I had come up with, and it was a sinful ethic. But he will violate your ethics. If you're hoping in anything but Jesus, whatever it is you're hoping in, when Jesus starts to violate that, how do you respond? Do you respond like this man? 
get up? Or do you respond like the Pharisees? Where are you looking for healing? Are you like the man that desperately looked to Jesus, the one who actually has authority over all things, the one who has authority to say, take up your mat and walk, or are you looking to something else? It's interesting, the Pharisees, they said they trusted God, they said they trusted the law, but Jesus, as we're gonna see on Friday and next week, you know what Jesus says to them? You don't even know the law, and you don't even know the Father. You're missing it. How do you know? How do you know what you're looking to today? And the answer is, how do you respond when Jesus violates you? Do you follow him or are you fixated on something else? This passage teaches us a lot about healing, but it also teaches us a lot about holiness. The most interesting passage in this passage to me is verse 10. 38 years, he's invalid, he's healed. All they can see, they're so caught up in their narrative, all they can see is that he's breaking the Sabbath. But the second most interesting passage to me is verse 14. Now the Pharisees have questioned the man. He says, I don't know who Jesus is. But then Jesus goes and finds him in the temple. I love this. Jesus goes and he pursues the man. He loves the man. And Jesus says, this is a fascinating passage. Look at verse 14. See, you are well. Go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, this brings up a lot of questions. Question number one, was it the man's sin that caused the ailment? Was what is this worst thing that could happen to him? I mean, there's not a lot worse than being crippled for 38 years. It brings up the question, did the man go on sinning? Now, from John 9, just a few chapters later, Jesus actually addresses the first question I asked. And, and he tells his disciples that, that pain is not necessarily linked to sin, right? Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes pain is the consequence of a sinful action, but it's not necessarily linked. And, and we have no reason to believe that this man, his pain was necessarily linked to his sin. But I think what Jesus is saying to this man is this. This man didn't know who Jesus was. He had not heard of Jesus. Jesus went to him. All this man knew is that he was unable to walk for 38 years, and now, miraculously and wonderfully, he was healed. And then what Jesus, I think, is saying to him here is this. All your life, you have thought that the worst thing that could happen to you, that the worst thing going on in your life was your physical ailment. But there's actually something worse. There's actually something more, there's a bigger problem that you need to be worried about. There's a bigger healing that you need. You have been healed from your body, but, but I have come actually to give even a bigger healing than this the healing of the soul. You have been worried about your, your legs, but, but what you really should have been worried about is your heart. Jesus is saying to this man, I've healed your body, but if you really knew me, you would know that I can heal your soul. And I just want you to hear this. When you really encounter Jesus, there is a soul healing. There is a response of righteousness. There is a response of faith. There's a response of usefulness 
that should happen, that, that always does happen. And I say, some of you have had some encounter with Jesus, some time in your life when the Lord has moved in your life, but, but you are not responding in faith. You are not responding in obedience. You are not responding by serving his kingdom. And what I would say to you is the same thing that Jesus said to him, quit sinning so that something worse may not happen to you. This is a warning that Jesus is giving this man about the coming judgment. He's saying there really is a God who won't just judge our bodies, but who will judge our hearts and souls. Are you living like this? Do you believe this? And I would say the same to you. Do you believe that? But Jesus is saying something more. Jesus came with many signs. The Gospel of John famously talks about the seven signs of Jesus. And these are signs that everything from him turning water into wine, to him raising Lazarus from the dead, to him healing this man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. And these signs are amazing. But they are signs that all are supposed to point to, that the, the value of the signs aren't in the signs themselves. They're, they're in what the sign points to. They're, they're all signs that point to the fact that Jesus actually is the Messiah. They're signs to help people see that this Messiah that was going to heal the world, that was going to be this Jewish Messiah and therefore be the Messiah of the whole world was really Jesus. And he alone has authority to heal the body, but he also has authority to heal the soul. So what do you think about this man? Did he go on sinning, right? Did he ever sin again? Did, did this man say, you know what? Man, I've been healed. Jesus has visited me in the most personal and wonderful way. I'm done with sin. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to just obey God. Did he ever sin again? And I'm going to go and tell you the answer is, yeah, he sinned again. Of course he sinned again. Even though he had met Jesus, this sign healed his legs. But this sign was a signpost, just a little signpost to the ultimate sign of Jesus. When Jesus came, people were infatuated with this sign. They were infatuated with this sign. They were always saying, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign. And at one point in frustration, Jesus, knowing that they were missing the point of the sign, said, this is a crooked generation, and I'm going to give you no sign. And then he said this, except the sign of Jonah. Now, what is the sign of Jonah? For just as Jonah was in the heart of the fish three days, three nights, so too the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. What is the sign of Jonah? What is this ultimate sign that Jesus came to give? And here's what it is. It means that Jesus came not just to heal the sick and not just to give good teaching. Jesus came actually to free us from sin. He came to free us from this law that we couldn't keep. Jesus actually came to free us from this final judgment that he was speaking about. You are all looking to something for healing. 
You are all looking to something for significance that you think will rescue you, that you think will comfort you, that you think will make you somebody. And guess what? I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, whatever it is that you're looking for will not satisfy. If you're looking to work, you can never work enough to actually feel satisfied, to actually rest. If you're looking to money, you can never have enough. If you're looking to ethics, if it's a Christian ethic or some sort of secular ethic, you can never do enough. You know, some of you think that you're obeying the Christian ethic. Jesus says, look, you can sum up the whole Christian ethic this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How are any of us doing on that? How many of us actually love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. How many of you just found yourself today in the quietness of your heart, just delighting in the Lord, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How many of you, when you have these quiet moments, find yourself thinking, God is so great, God is so awesome, or is it more likely that you think, I wonder if somebody texted me. I wonder if somebody liked that post I did on Instagram. Why isn't so-and-so called? How about your neighbor? Now, you love your neighbors, but do you love them like yourselves? When your neighbor gets that big bonus at the end of the year, you're happy for them, but are you as happy for them as if you got the big bonus at the end of the year? When they get to go on the great vacation, maybe you're happy for them, but are you as happy for them as if you got to go on the great vacation? The answer is, even the most basic of the Christian laws, we're too self-centered to obey. We can't obey the law. We can't do it. We can't justify ourselves by the law. But Jesus came, and he really did. Not in a superficial way, right? Not, not in this kind of superficial way that these Pharisees were doing. No, he actually obeyed the weightier matters of the law. He was in line with the heart of the Father. And the sign that he gave, the sign of Jonah, was that this righteous one, this righteous man, this man who never sinned, took on the weight of our sin, the something worse that should have happened to this man ended up happening to Jesus on the cross. And I'll just say this to you. The something worse that should happen to you, because you can't obey the law, because you can't justify yourself, because all of these things that you're looking to for healing are letting you down, the something worse will happen to you too unless you look to Jesus, unless you find this ultimate sign you could say it this way, Jesus came to work for us. It's a lot about the Sabbath here. Jesus came to work for us, to be righteous for us, to even die for us, to defeat death for us, to overcome final judgment for us so that we can rest in him. This passage teaches us a lot about healing. It teaches us a lot about holiness but finally, it teaches us a lot about the Sabbath. There's a lot I could say here, but I just want to say this. God in his wisdom, all throughout the Bible, gave his people these signs that were means by which they could understand him. One is happening this week. If you have Jewish friends, it's Passover week. What is the Passover? 
the Passover was a time for the Jewish people to gather, and they had this very powerful sign that the blood of the lamb would shield them from death. It was a sign that was showing them. It was a, it was a, a cry out to them that a lamb is coming that will ultimately shield you from death. Now, many of them believed, but many of them did not believe. They rejected. You know, the Sabbath is like that. It's also a sign. It's a sign to show us where real rest is. God created this great order and rhythm that we would labor six days and rest today. Now, there's a lot of practical benefits to a Sabbath rest, but ultimately, even the Sabbath rest is a sign. It's, it's saying something to you. It's saying that you don't have to be justified by your labor, that you don't have to work all the time, that you can rest in God. The author of Hebrews talks about the, the Sabbath rest that is in God. Jesus has worked. Jesus has filled all righteousness. Jesus has endured the worst thing that should happen to us all. Jesus has endured even final judgment, and he's overcome it so that we can find this Sabbath rest. The Bible says strive to enter it. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean strive in a sense of work and justify yourself to enter it. Here's what it means. It means your tendency is going to be to work. <laughs> your tendency is going to be to justify yourself. Your tendency is going to do everything else and reject Jesus. Strive to enter the rest means look to Jesus. And when you're tempted away, when he starts to violate you, when your sin turns your head this way, look back to Jesus. Continue looking to Jesus. He's the only one that has the authority to say, get up, your, get up from your bed and walk. He's the only one that has the authority to say, your sins are forgiven. He's the only one that has the authority to say, you can be whole and right and well in me. So church, strive to enter this rest by faith. You know, we prayed back here before the, the service, and, and Jason Byers prayed, Father, that you would turn some hearts toward you in faith today. But, and that's a great prayer, but my heart right now is that we would turn all hearts to you today in faith. Even those that have looked to you before in faith, continue to look to him, strive to enter the rest. And as we close today, I want us to celebrate with each other another sign that the Lord has given us. And it's the sign of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper does many things for us. It reminds us of how we have entered the rest. It reminds us that to enter the rest of God, we must look to Jesus, to his blood that was shed for us, to his body that was broken for us, but it also reminds us of what the rest will be like. This Lord's Supper is a look in two directions. It's a look back to the cross, but it's also a look to the day when we are with Jesus, as we say in one of the songs, feasting with him in endless joy. And on that day, we will really experience this healing 
we'll be freed from sinning. You, you won't even have the desire to sin in the presence of God. We look to him now to help us overcome sin, but one day, no, we will enter his rest and there will be no desire for sin. But it also, on that day, and I just want to, I feel like there's some people here that I need to comfort with this. Jesus will also heal everything else, all of the effects of sin. Some of you do have chronic pain right now. And I, I can't tell you, I can't promise you that you'll be healed from that in this life, but I do know that if you look to Jesus one day around his banqueting table, in his presence, you will be totally well. This pain will be a distant memory. Some of you are experiencing deep heartache this morning. And what I do know is that if you look to Jesus in faith, he can not only free you from your sin, but one day in his presence, you will be freed from that heartache. You'll be freed from that anxiety. You'll be freed from that worry. Strive to enter the rest. As you think on these things, the deacons are gonna come forward, pass out these elements. Now I do wanna say, if you're with us today, and you are not a believer, you know you're trusting in something else, then this is not a meal for you. In fact, it, it dishonors God if you would take it. So as the deacons are passing it around, just, just put your hand over your heart or hold your hand up. They'll, they'll, it won't be strange, they'll know what to do. But don't take these elements unless you take them with a heart that above all else, even when he violates you, you're willing to look to Jesus. And even as you take them, some people here, Jesus may be violating something that you're trusting in right now. This is a time for repentance, a time to look away from that and to look to him more fully. So hold on to these elements. We'll take them here corporately in just a few minutes.